Yes, hello and welcome to For and Against, where we look at the big issues in sport off the field of play. It's Paul Roach with you here once again, and I'm joined, as I often am, by Simon Johnson. G'day, Jono. Great to be here, Roachy, in some new fancy yeah, studios. The, the new Diamond Tina Media digs. Feeling, uh, feeling pretty special, yeah, I must exactly, say. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's, it's all very flash, isn't it? I love it. Uh, and look, we have an exciting development in the run-on team here at For and Against, uh, with Steve Riley swamped by the business end of the silly season. And after a sterling debut, I've got to say, John, I was an interviewee in our previous show focusing on the then-coming-up World Cup. Who better to bring in, given the continuing World Cup, than Kevin Sangster? G'day, Kev. G'day, Paul. Thanks for inviting me back. It's, uh, it's a pleasure. And uh, look, when he's not super-subbing for For and Against, Kev is a sports and finance journo, uh, the perfect combination for For and Against, of course. And you can catch his work at places like the Inner Sanctum and uh, Yahoo!, and while Kev is new to the show, folks, uh, he and I actually go back a bit. In fact, Kev, I was, I was working out, it's about 25 years, mate. And one of our early bonding moments, I'm sure you'll remember, was surviving the riots in Marseille in France, 98, when England played Tunisia. I'm sure you remember it well. Oh, yeah, a little too well, actually, Paul. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, wow, 25 years makes me feel very old. And yeah, France was uh, an interesting time. Pretty crazy time, wasn't it? <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, but it's for you. Coming up in the show, we'll turn our attention to Qatar once again. Uh, there's so much to talk about there, not the least of which is the armband saga. We'll also look at the apparently unloved Aussie men's cricket team, given recent crowds, the saturation of World Cups of late, and of course wrapping it up with red card, yellow card, where I know for a fact Jono is still agonising over the appropriateness or otherwise of his plan nomination, so I'm interested to see how that one pans out. Stick around for the outcome of that uh, that deliberation. He says, looking across at John, I'm not, Save it, Roach, not getting any it. hints there. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, Don't forget to use the hashtag RCYC when you see a potential red card, yellow card nomination, no matter how inappropriate it might be. Uh, and speaking of the socials, you can get us on Twitter at for and against with a cheeky underscore after that. Uh, on Instagram, for dot and dot against. And, and Kev, you, you've probably got your own social media presence. Uh, tell us about the channels where people can find you. Wow, I didn't expect the uh, the opportunity to plug, so thank you. Uh, so, at K Sangster Sport is my Twitter account. Um, that's really um, my sporting one. I've got a different one for finance, but I won't bore you with that. Ah, yeah, okay. At K Sangster. Thanks, Kev. Alrighty, let's get into the show. To Qatar 2022, the tournament that continues to pose more questions than answers, and I don't mean on the field, though that's happening as well, and didn't FIFA President Gianni Infantino equip himself well at a now infamous press conference in which he opened his hour-plus-long rant with something along these lines, guys. Today, I have strong feelings. Today, I feel Qatari. I feel Arab. I feel African. I feel gay. I feel disabled. I feel a migrant worker. Uh, and this is the same FIFA that, of course, a fortnight previously was telling everyone to focus on the football. Pressure showing on uh, the FIFA president much there, Jono? Yeah, I think so, Rochi. But, uh, I mean, I, I'm surprised he didn't call out one of the other things that he was feeling. He felt bullied because he, at school, had freckles and red hair. Ah, yes. Um, and this is because he had Italian background, so he was saying. And, you know, this. When it's, it's great that, thank God, having freckles at school has allowed him to understand what minority groups and migrant workers have been through, but... Anything to share on that front, Richard? <laughs> um, look, no, really. Being a redhead, I haven't felt the um, uh, the deprivation of being no. a redhead, just like Gianna. 
How long has he been bald for, though? Yeah, who knows? How, how, how long can you play that card when you don't have any hair left? This is true. He uh, he did go full Trump, though, didn't he? It was quite yeah. bizarre to watch, really was. Nothing was off limits. Kev, what did you make of it? Uh, it was a pretty crazy little outburst from him. I think bizarre is the word that you spot on there, Jono. Um, I just I couldn't believe what I was watching when I watched it. And I think it's the pressure from the Qataris. Um I, I can't see why FIFA would be under pressure from anybody else. So uh, uh, I guess the armband saga, which we're about to talk about, is sort of part of that. But, um, but yeah, utterly weird. Yeah, it's interesting, Kev. Keen to get your perspective on this as far as the governance goes. I mean, FIFA hasn't had a great history or a strong history of good corporate governance over the years. But I saw that um, Infantino, just prior to the World Cup, had been given another four-year term. So... As I read it, that means he's going to have 12 years. No one stood against him, so he's got another four years unopposed. How is it that a guy like this kind of sails through unopposed like that? That's a great question. I mean, uh, the first thing that springs to mind is uh, Blatter, was it? his predecessor, Blatter, was in for a lot longer. Um, <laughs> the bar was and, low. <laughs> and prior to that, then Havilland was there for donkey's years as well. So... Who knows? I mean, FIFA's a, a complicated beast. And, um, yeah, I mean, personally, I think they should have, like, politicians' terms, like, you, you can only do two and then you've got to go. Because um, otherwise, you just you run the risk of uh, it all getting a bit um, potentially corrupt. and corrupt, exactly. Well, I mean, when you think about it, these global sporting institutions that are sort of you know, above the law, um, they tend to be European-based. They tend to be populated and run by middle-aged to old-aged white men, you know, and, and a couple of redheads who've been bullied, obviously. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, they're sort of run by, like, fiefdoms. They're unchallenged. It's a classic sort of what's-a-boys club, isn't it? So, it really is, isn't it? Mm, yeah. Good luck to them. I'm slightly, I'm slightly jealous. I'll tell you one thing, actually, if you are interested in that, Jono, is check out the Netflix series FIFA Uncovered, which I, uh, I have to say I watched in, in, in its entirety in the, while trying to stay up for the opening ceremony of the World Cup. Uh, it's four hours long. But it's pretty pretty interesting stuff. Uh, if you've got a spare four hours, which most people don't, but, um, I might, but, give, yeah, it, I might uh, give it a go. <laughs> so it's anyway. So it's not. That you don't have to watch it in one sitting like I did. Um, but uh, but yeah, worth, worth having a look at. Scary stuff, actually. Okay, well, give us this. Give us the thirty or sixty second pricey there, Kev. So what, what did it find for those of us that don't actually have four hours in our lives to give over to this sort of thing? What did you What did you pull from it? Well, funnily enough, it's pretty much what Jono said that they've got very little governance um, and starts off with Havilland in the seventies and they introduce corporate sponsorship and it all goes downhill from there. Basically, <laughs> then Blatter is Blatter's is too IC for years. Then he suddenly takes over. Then he's supposed to have a deal with Platini, and then that all gets swept under the carpet, and then uh, it ends with them all getting brought in front of the courts and getting sued. Hmm. So uh, it's it's pretty damning indictment of what is the biggest sport in the world's governing body, to be honest. But anyway, I don't want to get too controversial, but it's worth a watch. Oh, no, it's, and then I'm getting controversial. And look, let's uh, you mentioned the armband saga earlier on, Kev, as I did indeed in the intro. So take us through a little bit about that, because I mean, this sort of points to the inability or the, the suppression of free speech, I suppose, and obviously uh, the, the controversy around the Qatari government's attitude towards certain lifestyles, I suppose. So, I mean, it's an interesting, the England team were involved, the, the German team were involved, or had their sort of input into this little saga, but um, 
just give us a quick recap on what happened there. Sure. Um, so, I mean, for those who, who aren't aware, so the captains of, I think it was about six or seven countries, England, Wales, Germany, quite a few European countries, actually, were planning on wearing armbands to protest against Qatar's laws against same-sex relationships, which uh, apparently it's illegal to, to have one in Qatar. Now, at the last minute, FIFA turned around literally the day that Kane was going to walk out in the, in the second game in the World Cup with it on, uh, Kane being the England captain, and basically said, if you wear it, we're going to give you a yellow card automatically, which was just unprecedented. And um, there's been an uproar about it in England, but understandably, all the European FAs who were going to wear them all back down at the last minute, which I guess FIFA knew they would do because can't risk going into such an important competition with a with a yellow card against your captain from the first minute. So I just thought it was amazing that they did that, as in astonishing, not good. And um, I, I was trying to think of the way that you try and describe it to a non-football audience. And one thing I thought of was it would be a bit like giving an automatic bin in rugby league um, mm. to somebody who was wearing some political statement i mean i don't know if that is similar but it's actually you're getting into the whole integrity of of the sport so it was a pretty pretty brazen thing for fifa to do and it worked but at what cost so um it's a bit of a tangled legal web isn't it um but also i mean i think that a couple of other things have come out certainly over the the first part of the world cup that we've seen in recent times in that we have seen some examples of social conscience or, or some good examples of the protest movement uh, as well. So the Germans in that first game or just before the first game against the Japanese, there was that photo of them putting their hands across their face, mm. um, saying that they'd been silenced and they wanted to obviously say something against the the Qataris and the way that you know they've sought to enforce their rules. And also the Iranians as well, perhaps not on the field, but certainly their players, I think, weren't singing the national anthem. And in the in the stands, a lot of their fans were obviously protesting around what's been going on so tragically back in Iran at the moment. So it just shows, I know I've talked to on the show in recent episodes about the, the power of sport to make social change and the like, but on the biggest stage of all, the World Cup, um, it can happen as well. Mm. It's sort of a genie that, they don't, that the powers that be don't want to get out of the bottle as, at least as much as possible. I mean, it, we're drifting a little bit towards the on-field side of things, which uh, you know is outside our charter here at Foreign Against. But, I mean, what interests me is about that threatened yellow card, Kev, is it is that actually in the rules? Like, what gives the no. the governing body or even a ref to issue a yellow card before a game has even started? Surely that's just paradoxical in and of itself. Well, that's how I understand it as well. It's not in the rules, but then I guess if you're the governing body and you say so, then it is in the rules, right? Mm. <laughs> so and uh... therein lies a very big problem. And look, the other one that caught my attention was the, the beer sales backflip. So speaking of the, the governing body, or and in this case, the government effectively doing what they want, having sort of promised, and Jono, they sign a contract, right? You know, will anyone ever feel confident doing business with the Qataris? Again, you're the legal expert here, though. although I did do contracts myself once, eventually got through it. I thought a contract was binding and all about giving both parties certainty. So this backflip around beer sales and the hoo-ha that they put Budweiser through and so forth. That, that uh, I think, again, um, this is just we'll do what we want. Yeah, one of the emirs would have been writing a cheque for $75 million to Budweiser is what is, was my read of the oh, situation. Really? I don't know if that has happened, but it was apparently a $75 million US sponsorship arrangement and they've clearly breached that contract, so they'd, they'd have to pay that amount. So, But, yeah, again, you know, an example of the Qataris kind of ignoring their legal obligations and standing up to FIFA. FIFA wouldn't have been happy with something like that happening at all. Can <laughs> no you kid, no kid. 
Where would that be enforceable if that's not too far beyond your uh, legal expertise there? Would oh. that be a contract written wherever FIFA's based? There's Switzerland, aren't Yeah, they? it's probably like a Swiss arbitration clause, Rochi. I'll, uh. I'll give you a... So next show we'll do a Arbitration 101. I'll spend 20 minutes or half an hour going through it for you all. I'm sure that'll be a That'd fascinating be half an hour yeah, for all of our just, listeners. Just for those listening now, I'll be putting the kibosh on that, so feel free... <laughs> To listen to the next show, which will not contain what John has just described there. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, it was never going to, it was always going to be a tense thing, the whole having alcohol in a country that essentially doesn't allow it. But anyway, look, you know, Kev, to our opening preamble, that at least there's a few less drunk pommies to go, you know, go to town on the, on the local inhabitants. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, listen, yellow cards, armbands, it's not, it's not a good start, but you, you start banning beer, then, then that's a step too far. <laughs> you know? um, so, I, I that's a bit of a joke, but, you know, it, it, it was a bit strange, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and I think that might resonate with an Australian audience as well, Paul. Very true. Very true. Very true. We know our audience well here on Four and Against. And speaking of the Qataris and perhaps things that might need to be revisited, is this whole business of auto qualification, the host country qualifying automatically? Again, drifting a little, sailing a bit close to the wind here on the on-field stuff, but... Uh, Kev, I mean, when we were talking earlier on, you were, you were raising some questions around whether the, the host country should be able to automatically qualify. Now, I'm a little bit scared if Australia does eventually get hosting rights that this might uh, jeopardise our ability to slot straight in. But um, what, what's your theory here? I mean, obviously, the Qataris have performed quite poorly on the field. First country to get the, the boot from yeah. the tournament, etc., etc. I think most people are across the stats and the little historical bits and pieces. Uh, how would you do things differently? Well, I think you've got two options, really. You either make them qualify or you only give the tournament to teams that are in the top 32 teams. Otherwise, they don't get to host it. Because quite honestly, guitar have been shocking. I mean, they had the opening ceremony and I think half of, the, uh, half of their players were still in the ceremony, to be honest, in the first <laughs> half of the first game. They were shocking. So um, the good thing from Australia's point of view, in in your point, is the World Cup expands to 48 teams in the 2026 World Cup. So uh, it might be that um, you don't necessarily need to be as good to be in the finals because there's going to be more teams in it. But also you run out of countries who are capable of hosting it. Yeah, but it tends to be recycled anyway. I mean, uh, America have had it twice, Mexico have had it twice, Brazil have had it twice. So, you know, you know I, I see your point. Um, but what you can't have is a team there that's not good enough to be there. And I think that's what Qatar is. I think um, 2002, Japan and South Korea were the hosts, and they both obviously auto-qualified. It'll be interesting to see what happens in 2026. We've got three countries, US, Canada and Mexico. Presumably they will, as Kev said. It's been expanded from 32 to 48 teams, so there's probably room. But I think the whole point of this is the World Cup should never have been awarded to Qatar. I mean, they were ranked, what, 130, 140 in the world at the time that they were awarded the, the hosting rights back in 2010. Yeah. I think of the 22 individuals who were on the organising committee that chose them, I think 18 have either had criminal charges brought against them or, or have resigned. So, um, yeah, wow. take, take, take from that what you will. Kev, uh, lastly, do you have a little punt on the World Cup? Do you have a little sneaky investment somewhere? Do you get yourself involved in some fantasy Fantasy football, I saw you um, You're tweeting some opinions on uh, an England run on site at one stage, but have you actually put money where your mouth is at all? I, I actually haven't. I'm not a gambling man, Rochi, as uh, as you may or may not remember. But uh, to be honest, when, you, when you're covering sport every day, you sort of want to get away from it sometimes <laughs> uh, on the weekend. Um, so I, what I have said in print, and I get it called up by my mates quite a lot, is I've said Argentina will win it, um, which I obviously got 
heaps of abuse for <laughs> after they lost to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> so I think that's as much uh, collateral as has got in the game is reputation more than anything. <laughs> Which is, that's a pretty hefty price to pay. Uh, well, Jono and I are mixed up in our our, our regular uh, World Cup fantasy tipping comp, team comp. We've been doing it since 1990, I think. 1990, yeah, a couple yeah. of years, yeah. So essentially you pick, uh, well, we have an auction. You have 200 bucks imaginary money to play with. You pick a team of nine outfielders and one nation's goalkeeper, and you get those players. It's the, the goals that those players score obviously get added to your, your team score minus the goals conceded by the country you choose. So that's our little um, right. fun. It, it makes it makes every game worthwhile. I've, I've got a couple of Brazilians, a couple of Argentinians. I think I've got a Serbian guys yet to get a run. Who, yeah, I've got um, Messi. He's, he's my guy. John, I, who I've you got? just got Kylian Mbappe. So he's pretty much a whole team Mbappe. for me. Mbappe. Good stuff. Yeah. Who's your, right. who's your goalkeeper? Goal, John. I've got the Danes. So, Danes. yeah, it'll be interesting to see with the Aussies. We'll God. see. Yes. Time might get the better of us there on that comment. However, so that's the World Cup. I'm sure we'll touch on it briefly again uh, in the non-citizen future. Plenty of issues there to, to work through at the Qatar World Cup. So on to the shootout where we cover a few more topics in a slightly shorter fashion. And uh, on to cricket, I must confess it took me until the following afternoon to become aware that there was an Australian versus England one day on a Thursday back in uh, mid-November. 15,000 people turn up to the Adelaide Oval for that. Uh, a couple of days later on the Saturday, it saw a similar number, slightly larger I think it was, turn up to the SCG. And look, I've got to say, John, I'm partly to blame for that number not being a bit bigger. We were considering going, but ended up lingering at a housewarming party. That the we Roach clan instead. wasn't there. That's outrageous. Yeah, yeah. Was, oh, that's good, five people that could have been. It was a good housewarming, though. Yeah. Listen, Craig, they do a good housewarming. Uh, and then a whole 10,000 people got themselves to the 100,000-seat MCG for the last one. Uh, which incidentally beat a previous MCG low for an Aussie men's side uh, set in 1979. What is going on, Jono? I can tell you what's going on, Rochi, and we've talked about this a couple of times in previous shows. One-day cricket is dying a slow and tortuous death. And when I say one-day cricket, I mean bilateral, meaningless games, which these ones are. I mean, apart from the World Cup, do we care about one-day cricket? Once every four years or once every two years, we might get interested around it. The issue here is in the scheduling. I mean, with the future tours scheduling that's come out recently, the top three nations play each other a lot mm. and the rest of the teams get uh, diddly squat when it comes to, to scheduling. And so we'll see a hell of a lot of Australia playing England and a hell of a lot of Australian playing India, but no one really cares. There's that. And also one day cricket as a format, I just don't think is the future. Kids these days, they want to watch and play 2020. And that is the gateway to um, test cricket. So I reckon, you know, in 5, 10, 15 years, one-day cricket will be gone. It's in, well, a survey conducted by, I forget who it was, after these three games, I think about a third of the people said exactly what you've said there. There's a few things to consider actually there. It's interesting also that you have said that 2020 is a gateway to test cricket, so it sort of bypasses the need to have this 50-50 as a transition thing for people to, you know, get interested. The difference between a three-hour game and a five-day game is significant. But I want to pick up on your hedge because in times past you have said uh, without reservation that the, the game, the one day, the 50 over game will die. But you put a little qualification on there saying except for the World Cup. And I've always been saying that's what will keep the game alive, the 50 over version alive. 
Yeah, I mean, possibly. I think in the short term, that's correct. But we saw how successful the 2020 World Cup was recently. Fantastic tournament. Australia hosted some Mm. brilliant games, massive TV ratings around the world. I just don't think it's going to be the same with one-day cricket. I mean, we'll we'll see on that front. But in order to have a one-day World Cup, you've got to have matches leading up to Mm. it, don't you? Mm. So... Kev, uh, interested, uh, although your accent belies your background, you have actually been living in Australia for, what, 10 years or something like that? So uh, you've got a couple of couple of kids. I know who have got Aussie accents, much to your chagrin, I'm sure. What's what's your view on what this means for cricket, in, well, one-day cricket in Australia, but also also globally, because this is not inconsistent with what's happening globally? Well, first of all, it's 20 years, Rochi. Oh, that um, long. But, Jeepers. Um, yeah, I know. Um, but I still support the pond much to uh, the uh, disgust of many Australian friends of mine. But um, I totally agree with Jono. I mean, why put it straight after the T20 World Cup? Uh, I mean, from an English point of view, when you hold both white ball uh, world championships, oh, why, bother playing, you know, why do we need to play again? Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> sorry, I couldn't, guys. But um, yeah, stupid timing. Uh, and I tend to agree. I mean, Ben Stokes has retired from the 50-over game. Mm. Uh, I mean, that says it all to me. Mm. He's not. He wants to focus on Test cricket, which is the premium product, and, and T20 because that's where the money is. It is good to see that Test cricket has survived this, you know, legitimate threat from T20. There was a, there was talk of whether Test cricket would survive. We had to cut it back to four days, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's it's come out. Uh, it's come out roses, I think, as a result of this little um, upheaval in the last, let's call it half a dozen years in in cricket generally. I think, too, look, it was a bit rain-threatened, that, that game in Melbourne, just to sort of make excuses. But I think the thing that, that has been missed also, the other factor, and I'm only half-joking here, is the Socceroos played France at 6am the next day. I reckon people went to bed earlier. I think so. I think any Aussie fan worth their salt were ready to get up to watch the Socceroos rather than go out to a rain-threatened MCG for a dead rubber that wasn't particularly well advertised happening in, uh, in November, not January. I'll tell you one other thing that um, that I just want to throw into the mix, which might go against what you guys have said, but my mates in England were baffled by some of the crowds in the in the T20 World Cup. They couldn't understand why the stadiums weren't full. Now, I know on TV, the ratings were fantastic, but the actual crowds at the games weren't that spectacular. I mean, what do you think happened there, do you know? Unless you're India, Pakistan, what have you. But, um, you know, to, to the point you're making, I think that, it's a bit of a timing thing. We're not thinking cricket in October. We're thinking October is, is horsepower month, either the horse races or the motor racing with Bathurst and so forth. October's a bit of a dead zone for a sport in, in, in Australia. I think we're sort of used to that. Australia's changing. Very, we're very traditional in our rhythms of sport, aren't we? Yeah, so well we, said. We, kind of, well said. we need the silly season to be well underway. We need mm. uh, work to have wound down, and then we can start thinking about cricket. I, right. I think it is a cultural thing. I think it's a very fair point. When the Wacker test comes on, you know that you're getting towards Christmas, yep. and then if it's a one day, it must be January. Easy way into it. <laughs> Away you go. Fair point, fair question, Cal. Now, Jono, I know you wanted to quickly talk about the, the JL public spout. Well, I mean, only on the basis, given that we're talking cricket and given how boring the one-dayers were, I uh, thought the, the thing that was actually interesting was the soap opera, which is Justin Langer versus Cricket Australia. J, mm. JL just can't let go. I mean, I, I think it's it's interesting for a couple of reasons. I mean, a lot of us watched that Amazon cricket documentary, which focused 
you know, write in on Justin Langer and how he turned the Australian cricket team's culture around after Sandpaper Gate. He obviously then lost the dressing room in the, the period after that. And it was just a, it was kind of an awful breakup, if you like, that was playing out in the public sphere. But it's a breakup that is ongoing. And JL, funnily enough, I don't know if you saw, but he's going to be one of the commentators on Channel 7 over this summer. So inevitably, this story is just not going to go away. So you can just imagine him interviewing or having to ask some questions of Pat Cummins or any of the players. The rest of the journos are just going to be salivating. So anyway, I think just watch this space on this one. I think Mm. there's more to this story to play out. I might have to watch Channel 7's coverage after all. Wowzers. Now, uh, we just talked about the 2020 World Cup. Look, I I just want to know, I mean, Roy and HG were famous uh, for a whole lot of reasons, but one of their sayings, one of their catchphrases was, too much sport is barely enough. And I just want to return to what we were just talking about there in in October and November. I mean, I hope you like your World Cups, because in addition to the big one going on in Qatar, we also had the 2020 World Cup, obviously, so we've talked about both of them. But on top of that, we had a Men's Rugby League World Cup in the UK, also a Women's Rugby League World Cup, running parallel. There was some women's rugby union uh, apparently as well going more or less at the same time. So, I mean, these things pass you by if there's too many of them at the same time. Is is too much sport barely enough, Jono, or is if we actually at saturation point? And, and is there anything we can do about it, frankly? Oh, I mean, a couple of those washed over me, I have to say. I can't, I can't say I watched a hell of a lot of the Rugby League World Cup. Um, there is a time consideration there, isn't mm, there? Time zone, yeah. I wonder whether there might have been some scheduling issues caused by COVID delays. I mean, potentially one or, one or more of those tournaments was Yeah, out the men's of sync rugby or, league was supposed to be a year early, but we sort of pulled the pin on that uh, for, I think, COVID-ish reasons, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, it's part of our, you know, raison d'etre, right? Gee, sport, so we, we can't be suggesting that too much sport is never enough. <laughs> like, we've just got to suck it up and get on with Let's it. Let's get the sports journo's uh, take on that. What do you reckon, Kev? Is, is it just, I mean... Well, A, is it too much? But B, can we actually do anything about it? Because let's face it, sport needs more money uh, and the way they get money is put games on and tournaments on and so forth. And so they're, they're not really caring what other sports are doing. They, they just want to get their, their own one out there. I, I think it's a scheduling thing, mate. Um, personally, I, I, I think there's never enough sport. I, I would watch it all day, every day if I got a chance. But for, to, for the whole viewing public, uh, I think there's got to be some scheduling things sorted out. And the other factor you've got to take into consideration is women's sport is now becoming a lot more popular. Mm. And so there's going to be twice as many as there was previously if we look at it mainly being male-dominated. So they probably need to align. I'm thinking about football here, but um, I'm sure it's the same with cricket and rugby and everything else. They need to align to make sure that the women's uh, World Cups are not on at the same year as the men's maybe, which I know the football one is because the Women's World Cup is here in Australia next year football so that's a factor we've got to take into account but uh, all power to it i mean i think the more the better in my opinion but i can understand why some people might be a bit fatigued by it all and i didn't watch the rugby world cup at all i have to say mm. uh, the rugby league one it's a good point kev makes it's the, it's only going to get worse or, or better depending on on your perspective uh, look, quickly on tennis, uh, it was interesting to see that uh, Joker, Novak Djokovic, has been released from his sentence and is now allowed back into the great prison island of Australia. <laughs> uh, it shows you how far, how far the sports world has come regarding COVID. 
John, I think we mentioned on the show the first crack in the dam. When Was it an Aussie cricketer who was able to play uh, despite the fact that they were positive? Uh, drawing a bit of a blank yeah, with you as well. I think well. it was the uh, the final, wasn't it, of the Women's, Women's 2020 World Cup. I think that's right. Yeah. So even though she had COVID, she was positive. She yeah. was able to play. So that was a mask, apparently, but she wasn't really wearing it all the time. Yeah. Mm, but that was, and that might have been, I'm going to say, six months ago. Um, but that was the first little crack in the wall. But now we've got Djokovic allowed back in the country. Good thing, bad thing? Oh, I, I'm relaxed about it. I mean, I think what it does show is how much the world has moved on in less than 12 months. This time 12 months ago, I was only reflecting, Rochi. We, were, we just had Freedom Day. So for those of us who live in New South oh, Wales, yeah. we'd been in lockdown for four months. We were allowed out, I think, in late October. We were in the downhill stretch to Christmas. And then suddenly this sports story, Djokovic, whether or not he was going to be allowed into the country, really took over the media. Um, and the fact that he had refused to get vaccinated obviously led to a, a big legal stoush and a, an administrative quagmire. Mm. Um, but yeah, look, 12 months on, we've all moved on. The Joker, I think we can let him wave him through. Yeah, it was sort of Australia, Australian government won Djokovic nil off perhaps 15 love. But um, Kev, do you have any strong feelings either way about uh, whether the Joker should be allowed back into the country? Not really, no. I mean, if it's if it's the rules that people who are vaccinated can come in, then that's fine as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you want your best players playing in the tournament um, and he's still one of the best, so get him here. Uh, I, I agreed with him not being here last year, to be fair, but now I'm fine with it. So... Uh, more sport, the merrier, um, and get the best players here. I think that's probably common sentiment that um, there's understood the, the rejection of him last year, but um, play on this year. And now to our final segment in the show, and uh, look, it's probably our favourite segment of the show, to be honest with you, red card, yellow card, where we enjoy poking fun at sports people around the country and around the world who've done something off the field that they probably in hindsight wish they hadn't. They wish it had just disappeared, but it's our job to make sure that we remember these silly things that sports people do. Jono, lead us off with your nomination. It's a delicate one, this one, Richard. Oh, you're going with it, are you? I'm going with okay, it, yeah. Cool, cool. So sit back, brace yourself. So I'm, um, I'm nominating Wayne Rooney. Uh, Wayne, former Everton and England star, now and a major league soccer coach over in the US at uh, DC United. Um, you might recall, Rochi, that Wayne's wife, Colleen, has featured as a oh, red card, yellow card nominee yes. a number of times for her escapades with Rebecca Vardy, mm. a.k.a. Wagatha Christie. Yes. But this is, this is where we shine a spotlight on, uh, on Wayne. It's a big spotlight, this one. Anyway, it's, it was recently reported. Is it a big spotlight or just a little spotlight? We'll come to that. <laughs> it was recently reported in that esteemed English publication, oh, the, the Sun. Sun. Ah, yes. Must be true then. That Wayne was in the middle of giving a rousing halftime team talk to his players. And the theme of, of this talk was about triumphing over adversity. Uh-huh. Now, this is a difficult one to report, Rochi and Kev, in a family podcast. And I'm you know, sure. I've always been a model of decorum for red card, yellow card nominations. So, really, all I can really do is just read it and let the sun take it away. So, I'm mm. just going to quote directly <laughs> you're washing your hands from the headline and the first paragraph and okay. i'm going to say nothing further okay <laughs> wayne rooney makes shocking revelation about penis size in bizarre team talk to dc united players footy hero wayne rooney <laughs> left his players gobsmacked by telling them of his small <laughs> willy apparently he was trying to use personal references so his speech looked like it was from the heart but sadly it went down like a lead balloon. 
End of quote. <laughs> John, that was beautifully read. <laughs> I think so, Kev's just falling off his chair over there. <laughs> so that's Wayne for you, and uh, I, I have nothing further to add. No, fair enough. Except you need to actually specify whether you're going with a red or a yellow nominate, yellow card nomination. I think, I think that's actually a red. You're going red? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting one. Uh, we'll remember that. We'll remember that one for a while, Jono. Um, thanks for that. No problem. Um, Kev, don't feel you have to outdo that, but um, you know, what's your nomination yeah, for a red card? You're not reading the right newspapers, mate. No. Well, actually, funnily enough, there is a link because uh, my red card goes to Ronaldo. Brilliant player. Loved him at United. He's been brilliant at Madrid. Blah blah blah. But I don't know if you saw. He gave an interview where he slagged off the club, slagged off the manager, said he felt no respect. Uh, he said he disrespected the manager, basically just cut all his ties. Ridiculous. And then to top it all, the interview that he gave was to the Sun. <laughs> so, I mean, what is he thinking? So, Coverage. yeah, I just, I've lost a lot of respect for him. And um, I think a lot of people in England have as well. Ironically, Ten Hag's come out of it really well. Uh, and everybody thinks he's done a great job in uh, in not putting up with this petulant child. Mm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, to give it to Piers Morgan, of all people, <laughs> seriously. So, uh, absolute straight red card in my book. It, it's a multi, a it's a multi-factored red card, isn't it, given? And, of course, it's the Red Devils themselves. So, um, it's red, red all around there. I agree with you, Kev. Nice one. Good good choice. <laughs> CR7 has uh, featured a couple of times, hasn't he, on Red Card Yellow Card? Yes, he has. Yep. Look, mine is, is part quite smirk at deceitful cleverness and also part outrage at a cynical attempt at undermining the race that stops a nation. So, as you're probably aware, Channel 10 holds the rights to the Melbourne Cup, has had for a few years. It was previously on Channel 7. They seem to sort of alternate it every so often. It's hard to know whether to expect Bruce McAvaney or Hutto or something, you know, when you turn on the Melbourne Cup on that first Tuesday in November. Well, on that particular day in 2022, Channel 7 decided to televise the Melbourne Cup Day meet at Randwick in Sydney. The primary purpose of that meeting at Randwick, as far as I can gather, is just to, uh, to help the corporate crowd, you know, enjoy the Melbourne Cup. Uh, on what is effectively a day off for the rest of the country anyway. You've been, Jono? You've done the uh, the Ramwick? Quite a few Melbourne years Cup. ago, yeah. Mm. It was uh, a very liquid afternoon. Yes. I was there in 2008, so GFC time, yep. and I remember that um, no in the corporate area, there was no signage. No right. one wanted to be seen as spending money. Yeah, But they'd already pre-booked it, you see, so it went ahead, which is probably why I got a bait, because all these other people didn't want to be seen there. Anyway, so where was I? Yeah, so Channel 7 showed that had, had the Ramwick races on. Now, it's a bit sneaky because many Aussies, of course, turn on the telly on Tuesday Arvo, saw there were GGs on the telly and not unreasonably thought that they were watching Flemington, notwithstanding the fact that if you're even vaguely into horses, you know that in Victoria, horses go the other way way to New South Wales. But leaving aside that, of course, many people turn the telly on and aren't into horses, right? Uh, And so, of course, people, you can see where this is going, right? People watch the TV and it's, you know, quarter past three going, what time's the Melbourne Cup on? And they missed it. They missed it. (sighs) Dead set missed the Melbourne Cup. Because of Channel 7 just being a little bit sneaky. But well within their rights to show the the, the, the Ramwick meet. It kind of reminded me, and Kev, I reckon you'll remember this too, John, I'm sure you will, of Fox Sports' stunt in 2006 when the Aussie Rules Grand Final was a replay of the 2005 Grand Final. It was the same two teams, right? Swans and West Coast. Now, Fox doesn't, still to this day, doesn't carry the Grand Final live. 
they do a pre-show and lots of stuff, but you've got to go and watch it on Channel 7 or whoever it is at the time. So, yeah, in 2006, Fox Sports ran a full replay of the 05 grand final at exactly the same time <laughs> as the 06 grand final. It was a better result, wasn't it? Uh, it was true. But, yeah, you had a lot of people in 05, in 06 going, this is so much like what happened last year. <laughs> Anyway, look, so I think uh, I'm, I'm nominating Channel 7 for a yellow car there. Not going red because they're just being a bit clever. I don't like it. But, or for um, a few extra advertising dollars. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. No, I think that's fair. Happy with the yellow for that? Yeah, good stuff. So with the uh, end of red card, yellow card, that brings us an end to another episode of For and Against. So uh, it leaves me with the simple task to say goodbye, Kevin Sanks. I think we'll have you back for the next show, mate. See you later. Thank you. Thanks, Rachie. Cheers, Jono. And, uh, Jono, goodbye to you. Thank you, of course, for your contribution. See you, Richie. It's goodbye from me, Paul Roach. Don't forget, you can get us on the socials at Twitter at forandagainst underscore and on Insta, for.and.against. We'll be doing it all again in about a fortnight's time, but until then, it's bye for now. Bye.